We're in the middle of a series. We're in the middle of a series dealing with the people who were the characters surrounding the nativity. And so today, we're going to be looking at probably the most mysterious there at the nativity. And uh, they seem to materialize out of nowhere. And Matthew gives us very little detail whatsoever about their nationality. We don't really know anything about their religious system of beliefs. Uh, we don't really even know the meaning of the star that they followed. They just sort of show up in Jerusalem. They head to Bethlehem. Uh, they give their presence uh, to Jesus. And then the next thing you know, they disappear. Now, they were surrounded by an awful lot of people who should have been at the nativity. They should have been there, uh, but they weren't there. So it's really a story about very unlikely seekers, Gentiles. And uh, it's also a story not about these unlikely wise seekers looking for this newborn king. It's also a story of, of confusing rejection. Uh, why were those who should have been there, why are they rejecting him? Now, this is an important story. You, you, when you first read it, you might not think, and in Matthew chapter 2, it's very important, but it sets the stage for the entire book of Matthew. The theme of Matthew is that Jesus is king. That's, that's it. And so we're going to read uh, together, it's going to be read dramatically, uh, Matthew 2, this section, and you're going to see just even the word king or ruler is mentioned uh, half a dozen times, and it sets the stage for the entire book of Matthew. So let's all stand together and uh, follow along as the passage Matthew 2, 1 to 12 is being read. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. So go ahead and have a seat and 
amazingly, over 2,000 years later, there are still people just like the wise men uh, still searching for Jesus. So let me just say it up front. If you are a spiritual seeker, if you're looking for who Jesus is or something about your spiritual life, uh, you've really come to the right place. Uh, some people call the magi, it's from the Greek word magos, magi, magos. Uh, they call them the three kings or the kings of the Orient. Uh, and yet we don't really even know if there were three kings. So I'm not sure that's the best term, but certainly a great term for them would be the original seekers because that's exactly what they were seeking for. They were seeking for uh, God, for searching for truth. They were searching for a savior. I remember being uh, in school in New Orleans where I grew up and uh, it was a, a very parochial system. So there were lots of, of Catholics within the, the city. And so I was in a public school, but every year we would do a living nativity scene. And there were always three. Now, where does it say in Scripture there were three wise men? It doesn't. Uh, there, we know there were three gifts, but somehow every nativity scene, I went through my house uh, just yesterday and looked. We have about a half a dozen nativity scenes from all over the world, from Africa, uh, from just about everywhere. And uh, all of them have three magi. Uh, we, we've got three right up here. I went to Faith Academy uh, this past week and met with Doug Fern. There are three magi in their nativity scene as well. And so as a public school, we would act out the living nativity. And you, you had the best-looking guy, the most handsome guy, got to be Joseph. The, the best-looking girl got to be Mary, and they got to hold a little baby. And the three next, you know, the, the studs of the class, the three guys who are studs, they got to be, they got to be the, the three magi. You know, I never, I never got to be one of the magi. And I had all the Mardi Gras beads. I got to wear the crown, you know, all that stuff. But no, I, you know, for somebody who gets an F in deportment, I got to be one of those stinking shepherds. So yes, mom and dad, there's hope for your kid. <laughs> so so I, I was one of those shepherds. You know, you got a towel around your head and the bathrobe flip-flops, and, and that's about it. And you think, well, the magi... Uh, with all the Mardi Gras beads, the crowns, and all this stuff, uh, where were they really from, these mystery men of the East? Uh, who really were they? Uh, and what we do know about the Magi is that the, the word was really a combination, sort of a combination scientist, astronomer, physician, philosopher. Uh, they had probably, wherever they were from, it could have been Persia, could have been India, maybe the, the Orient from China, could have been anywhere in there, we just don't know. But they probably came in, conduct, in contact with some Jewish scholars who were taken during one of the three different captivities. And so they were acquainted, perhaps, with some of the Old Testament scriptures, uh, certainly with some messianic prophecies, uh, perhaps even with numbers that talks about the star that arises out of Judah. But what we do know about the, about the situation is that they came, and, and they really weren't part of the original, what we think of the original nativity set gathered around the manger. Uh, that's really not the, the time frame, even though it was put in there, and it's fine putting it in there, and I'll tell you probably why it was. But th they actually went to Jerusalem. Uh, they followed the star probably for four to six months. Uh, we know that nobody else saw the star but them. Uh, so they followed it for quite a while. Uh, they ended up going to Jerusalem. They didn't go to a manger. Uh, clearly it said when, it, when you read it, they went to a house. And it was no longer Luke 2, where Luke 2 talks about the brephos, 
the baby or the infant. Now it's clearly to visit the child, uh, which is the word paideon. It's a word that means, you know, older, just like a toddler, you know, kind of a deal. So my guess, uh, people will speculate, Jesus now is probably about one year old, somewhere around that. And that makes sense because Herod had everybody two years old, all the guys two years old and under uh, executed. And uh, so we don't know a whole lot about it, but there are a lot of things we do know about it. We know that it sets the stage for the rest of the Gospel of Matthew. And what this passage is clearly saying to all of us is that everybody is on a path. And it's either one path or another path. There is the path of the wise men, and that's a path that led to them receiving and adoring and worshiping Jesus, who is God and King. But we also find out from the context, and we just read it, that there's another path. And this path would be by those on the path filled with the unwise men. And this is a path that really leads to rejection. One path leads to rejection. The other path leads to worship and life. So I think one of the most famous Christmas cards that I ever see, you've, I'm sure you've all seen it if you've ever gotten a Christmas card, wise men still seek him. Well, that really is the message. Wise men still do seek him. Now, how does the, how does the text fit together? Because when you read the text, it seems a little bit choppy that it doesn't fit. But let me show you real quick in this graph. Based on Hebrew poetry, uh, throughout Throughout poetry, which is a good section of the Bible, about a third of the Old Testament is written in poetry, it, a lot of poetry is written in chiastically or in a chiasm. So just, so just so the next time you read it, you'll understand. So chapter 2, verse 1, it talks about the Magi arriving. And then if you go all the way to the bottom, the last verse of this section talks about the Magi departing. So a Magi arriving from their country, then it ends with Magi departing. Then the second section, the Magi, they've seen the star, and they seek to worship Jesus. Uh, and then you see the Magi seeing the star again, and it leads them to actually receive and worship Jesus. Then it focuses on Herod, that Herod is terrified of this, the coming of this king of the Jews. And then third from the bottom, Herod plots to kill this infant, this, this baby, the king of the Jews. And then right in the middle, Herod asks questions of the re religious leaders, and then the religious leaders answer Herod. That's right in the middle. So that's how it's all put together. But let's look, first of all, start with the bad news, then we'll go to the good news, how the unwise reject Jesus. And it centers around three rejections. And the first rejection is that of King Herod. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus was born, quote, in the days of Herod the king. And folks, those days were tumultuous days of violence and evil. He was appointed governor over all of, of this area, about 47 B.C., and then he gave to himself the title King of Israel in 40 B.C.E. So he gave himself, again, what's Matthew about? That Jesus is the king. Herod gives himself the title, the king of Israel. But what do we read about the Magi when they come? They're searching for, verse 2, the king, the king of the Jews, 
who is the ruler, verse 6, of Israel, a ruler over Judah. So Herod called himself Herod the Great. This complemented his incredibly enormous ego. And because of his ego was so massive, he was insanely suspicious of anybody taking away his power or his authority. He had people absolutely eliminated if he, if he detected any threat whatsoever. He had his own wife executed. He had his wife's mother executed. He had three of his sons executed. Matter of fact, um, it was Josephus, who was a famous historian of, of that time, said that he was a murderous old man. Caesar Augustus, Augustus said that uh, it was safer to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons. It's no wonder that Matthew says in verse 3 that when, when he heard that these magi were in search of the king of the Jews, it says he was troubled. The word could be translated, he, he was agitated. He was, he was shaken that they were coming uh, to, to find this king of the Jews. So um, he's upset, very upset. Matter of fact, he got so upset 30 years earlier that the, the Sanhedrin were trying to spread some messianic hope amongst the Jews of the area that 30 years earlier, Herod had almost all of the Sanhedrin executed because they were perpetuating this messianic hope among followers. And so that's why he was so upset. So in verses 7 to 8, uh, the question he asks really unmasks his deceit, and all he wants to do is find out where he's supposed to be born because he knows from this of the star, what they've reported about the star. He knows that they would have to be under two years old. And so he just had all the, all the guys two years old and under executed. But don't miss the point. The point of this story sets the stage for the whole rest of the book of Matthew. The point is this. There are only two paths when it comes to our response to Jesus the King, the Lord, the Savior. There's the path of the wise men, who worship him, and then there's the path of the unwise men who reject him. So King Herod's rejection of Jesus was really one that was totally based on fear, and it was rooted, the whole root of that fear came from his self-centeredness. Everything revolved around his own life. Now you think about it, you go to the very beginning of the Bible, you go to Genesis chapter 3, and that was the exact same problem with Adam and Eve. Their rejection of, of God's gift was their, that they were consumed in themselves. And that's why Proverbs 16, 18 says that pride goes before destruction. This is exactly why Jesus said in John 12, 24, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the earth and dies. It remains alone. But if it dies, in other words, it dies to self, dies to self-centeredness, it will remain alone. But if it dies, it will bear much fruit. So that's the rejection of Herod, and it's based in this fear and self-centeredness. But we also have the second rejection was that of the religious leaders. So Herod, when he finds out about this, he gathers together all the religious leaders, the chief priests, the scribes, finds out uh, where he was supposed to be born. This, this ruler, this king, 
that's supposed to be born. So all of these scholars, these religious scholars, get together. And folks, they know. They absolutely know the Bible. I mean, they, they recite a compilation of Micah 5.2, that he would be from Bethlehem, along with 2 Samuel 5.2, that he would be a shepherd and a prince over Israel. So they take two different messianic passages that predicts a shepherd prince, a servant king, a ruler over God's people who is coming. So the religious leaders reject Jesus based not on the fact that they didn't know, but they rejected him just on apathy. They knew their Bibles. They even spoke truth to Herod, but they did not join with the Magi on their journey for seeking truth, for seeking this new king. See, historical biblical truth did not make even the slightest amount of difference to these religious leaders in their everyday lives. They were absolutely apathetic to truth, but they were engrossed in religious activity, reciting theology. They knew their Bible, temple ritual, religious meetings, but the very practical reality of a messianic king being born in Bethlehem who would rule over their lives meant absolutely nothing to them. And what we find is that their apathy then hardens into opposition. And then the opposition, by the time we get to the end of Matthew, that's the whole story of Matthew, then ends in a frenzied lust for his blood. Folks, this is a warning for all of us. It is a warning that knowledge is no substitute for surrendering to the person of Jesus Christ. It's only selfless wisdom. When, when I talk about the definition of a wise man, uh, my definition here, I think what, what's coming out of the text is this kind of wisdom is a, is a wisdom that by faith submits itself to the authority of Jesus Christ. The scribes, the Pharisees of Matthew 2, I think serve as warnings to all of us who want to know about Jesus, that we can end up loving religion, even loving the Bible and loving truth, but being unwilling to submit to the authority of truth to which it constantly points. Well, thirdly, there's a rejection of all of Jerusalem. You see in verse 3, it, verse 3 describes Herod's agitation, and then at the end of the verse, it says, when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all of Jerusalem with him. So this is just a general population of Jerusalem uh, who, they, they just did not want the status quo to be messed with. So the rejection of the general population was really just based on indifference and indifference that they had. So again, the Magi go alone now to Bethlehem. Uh, there was no entourage from the citizenship of Jerusalem to join them on their quest and search for wisdom, ultimate wisdom for Jesus. And it was the same population that were indifferent that ends up, so we went, from, we went from apathy to opposition, and now we go from indifference to defiance. It was this very same population when you get to the end of the book of Matthew. These indifferent people now are standing there yelling out what? 
crucify him, crucify him. Apathy to opposition to murder. Indifference to defiance. The world is filled with men and women who have no use for a Savior who claims to have authority but offers life to those who would trust him. There are modern-day Herods who really are just so afraid of losing their self-autonomy. Adam and Eve were afraid of it. The Bible's filled with examples of people who just don't want to die to self. They want to cling. They want to, they want to be in charge. They want to be the ruler. They want to call the shots. They're afraid of it. And there are modern-day religious leaders who love religious knowledge, but who are genuinely apathetic. They love the knowledge, but are apathetic to truth. And then they're just plain vanilla people like you and me who don't want the status quo of their life challenged. And they remain indifferent to Jesus, but indifference turns into defiance. So I guess the question is, who really is the Lord, the King of your life? Is it Jesus who really calls the shots in your life? over your time, over your money, over your emotional attachments, over your affections, over your desires, over your longings. Well, that's the bad news. The unwise will reject him. That's the story of Matthew. We have example after example through the rest of the book. But then on the other hand, there are the wise men. And we get a glimpse of the wise men. And these were Gentiles. And that's what we'll see in Matthew. The, the people who you would expect <laughs> to follow Jesus don't. They reject. And the very people you wouldn't expect, like the Gentile Magi, they do. They seek him. The wisdom of the Magi led them to seek truth. You know, if you want to find God today, uh, just seek honestly the truth. Become a seeker like the Magi. Folks, there is such a big difference between being a genuine seeker and being just a speculator. You know, a speculator will say things like, well, I think God is so-and-so, or, or my idea of God is like God is like a, a whatever, or I really imagine God to be this or, or that. And, uh, you know, really, who cares what you think? I mean, really? I mean, so you, you really think the earth is flat and is balanced on the back of a turtle? Uh, really? So, I mean, is that okay? Is it true just because you think the earth is flat and is balanced on the back of a turtle? Uh, speculators will make personal guesses. So my challenge is don't be a speculator. Don't just make personal guesses, conjectures, imaginations. Uh, at least be a seeker like a magi. Uh, be uh, an explorer, be, be a scientist, be a researcher, be someone who is diligently seeking truth. In other words, do like the Magi did. Take the time. It took four to six months to get there, a whole caravan. There, there might have been a number of Magi. We, again, we think three because of the, of the three gifts. But take time uh, to explore. Oh, by the way, the, the reason we 
typically have the three magi. It was St. Francis of Assisi back in uh, 1223. He visited the Holy Lands, and he was so impressed with the Holy Lands, he decided as an outreach for the Catholic Church, he would conduct living nativity scenes that, that people could actually see. Successful for the Catholic Church. And in his living nativity scene, he had three magi. So, and, and it makes sense. It's part of the whole birth narrative. So, he, But he had the three magi there, and so we've just sort of passed down the tradition, and that's basically where, where it came from. But what I would urge you to do is to at least do the three things that a genuine seeker will do. I mean, the first thing they'll do is observe. They'll, they'll watch what's happening in the world. And so somehow these... these uh, Scientists, physicians, astronomers saw something in the sky that grabbed their attention and they were very observant. And they began, secondly, to ask very good questions. What does it mean? Where does it go? Um, uh, is this what's corresponding perhaps with where uh, we got this information from those Jewish scholars who uh, ended up showing us some of the scriptures? Maybe it's out of Numbers where the star rose out of Jacob. Maybe so they were asking good questions and they were willing to invest everything they had to find the answers to this. They weren't content just to guess. Uh, they wanted to tr the truth and they weren't hesitant to invest the time or the money or the resources to get to it. Uh, if you're visiting with us, we have these little books, The Case for Christmas by Lee Strobel. And uh, uh, Lee Strobel was a, a guy, he had a degree in journalism, he got his law degree from Yale, uh, and he was the legal editor for the Chicago Tribune. And he ran into some Christians that just really sort of rocked his world, rocked what he believed. He thought it was just a bunch of fairy tales, so he decided, I'm gonna take the principles of investigation that he learned from law school, and I'm gonna apply them to see if this stuff is credible if some of the facts about who Jesus is, is it credible? And so this book, if you'd like to have it, uh, if you're a visitor, go to the Connect Center. We have some packets for you. It has this book in it. Be a, it gives you an example of what a true seeker will do to investigate and come up with answers versus a speculator. Same thing you might have heard of Josh McDowell. He's got evidence that demands a verdict, more evidence that demands a verdict, a new evidence that demands a verdict. This is the latest one uh, authored with his son, Sean McDowell. As a matter of fact, right after I became a Christian, Christian, uh, I went to his first apology class. As a matter of fact, uh, these are the original notes for evidence that demands a verdict. They were mimeographed. He typed them out himself. They were mimeographed. And when I got to the class early, that's just my nature to do stuff early, uh, he asked me would I help staple the mimeographed notes together. So I still got an original copy, early 70s, from Joshua Cal's Evidence that Demands a Verdict. Uh, some of you, uh, Tom Landry, anybody know who Tom Landry is? He was a, okay, Dallas Cowboys. Uh, anyway, his wife said that every night before Tom Landry went to bed, he would take 15 minutes and he would read for 15 minutes out of evidence that demands verdict. And then he would read 15 minutes out of the Bible. She said, Tom even did this the night before the Super Bowl. He would read 15 minutes out of evidence. So I would say, be a seeker like that. Invest, invest everything you have to find, to find those answers. Uh, a speculator will, instead of investigating, a speculator will just say, look, everybody has a right to their own opinion. Just doesn't matter. And uh, folks, that is not being open-minded. 
That is not being inclusive. That is merely being afraid of truth or afraid to invest your resources, time, money, etc., to find out, investigate. It's far easier just to say everybody has a right to their own opinion. And you know what's so ironic to me? What's ironic to me is that the, the very religious center of the universe was just six miles away from where Jesus was born. And they knew it was going to happen, not in Bethlehem of, of uh, Galilee, but they say it's going to happen in Bethlehem of Judea. Six miles. They knew everything about it. They knew all the prophecies, the messianic prophecies, and they refused to walk six miles to investigate it. That is apathy. And apathy turns into opposition, just like indifference turns into defiance. But the guys who did come traveled for perhaps months to get there. Not Jews with a background, Gentiles using their resources. The very ones that you would expect to be there weren't. The ones that you wouldn't expect. So listen, God absolutely wants First, you've got to understand how much he loves you, what he did for you. Read the story of the Bible and you're going to see what God did to reconcile you and your relationship with him. And that's through his son, Jesus. God himself becomes a human being. That's the story we're reading about. And God just, if you will just seek him, he will honor. Not Don't speculate about him. Seek him and he'll honor that. Jeremiah 29 says, You will seek me and you'll find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. What a promise. What a promise. He wants you to get to know him because he loves you so very much. So the wisdom of the Magi led him to seek truth but it also the guide of the Magi led them to experience incredible joy. God wants to help you get to know him, so he will give you a sign. He always does. He will give you a sign. He will give you a travel guide. He will give you a trail marker. And you look at the Old Testament. The Old Testament is filled with stars, travel guides, signs, something to help you, whether it be through genealogies, whether it be through wonders, whether it be through specific prophecies, miracles. Uh, their travel guide was a star. Now, I don't know what that star really was. was, was I know that it was, as far as we know, only the Magi saw it, uh, and it had to last for a qu quite a long time. I don't know if it was an asteroid. I don't know if it was a supernova, a comet. Um, one option is, I think a good option is, some sort of convergence of planets. As a matter of fact, Dr. Grant Matthews, astrophysics and cosmology from Notre Dame, he's got a, an, an entire book coming out on this. He's studied it for years. Uh, so in the planetarium, you run everything in reverse. And what he saw was around 6 BCE, around springtime, um, March, April, May, that, that time frame when the sheep were out, <coughs> 
alignment that happened of the sun and Jupiter, the moon and Saturn, that they align very specifically within the constellation Aries during the vernal equinox, the spring equinox. And uh, so the ast astronomers back then had meanings and symbols for all of this stuff. This was their sign. For the Magi who understood this stuff, this was a sign to them. And so uh, Dr. Matthew says that when the sun, Jupiter, and the moon were together in the constellation Aries at the spring equinox, it, it um, gave the signal for the birth of a special ruler. But then on top of it, when you include Saturn in Aries at the spring equinox, that represented new life. So you've got the birth of a new ruler who will give new life and then what was amazing, this professor of theoretical astrophysics and cosmology at Notre Dame said, the only time this alignment has ever taken place, the closest next time was within 500,000 years. 500,000 years, that was the only time the alignment has taken place. Uh, now, I don't know if that was it. I'm sure it'll sell a lot of books. It's interesting. But I'll tell you what I do know. I do know that God will, if you are seeking, God will send you a trail marker, a sign, something. I'll tell you what my star was. My star was a group of friends who loved me, who cared for me, and who brought me uh, to a Christmas conference in 1971. Nine girls in a station wagon and me. It was more than just a sign. Uh, <laughs> and God used that in my life to bring me. On December 31st, 1971, 11.45, sitting on the floor of the Marriott Hotel, I put my trust in the Savior. That's the sign that God used for me. Uh, you're here because God has used a sign in your life. It might have been a good book, might have been a, a pastor, might have been a good friend. You might be sitting next to the star uh, that led you to Christ. And the good news is, not only are you sitting here and you've had a sign in your life, God wants you to be a star in somebody else's life too. God wants to use you to shine light on Jesus to help bring somebody else to him. So who is your star? Well, there are four possible reactions. If God's going to give you a travel guide, if God's going to give you a sign, there are four reactions. We've already seen three of them. One reaction is just fear and self-centeredness. Look, life is about me. I'm here to protect my self-autonomy. Uh, don't confuse me with all this other stuff. If it gets in my way, uh, I'll just butt it down. That was Herod. That was Adam and Eve. Or maybe it's maybe it's just apathy. You've got loads of religion, you know, loads of the Bible and all that stuff, but really you're just apathetic. There's, there's no relationship there at all. And just don't forget that apathy oftentimes will turn into opposition. Or it could be just indifferent. Who cares? Don't bother me with this Jesus stuff, you know. Uh, and yet indifference will turn into defiance. Crucify him, crucify him. But the Magi, their response uh, to this travel guide, to this star, was incredible joy. Notice, when they saw the star, they rejoiced 
exceedingly with great joy. And I looked it up, and another way you could translate it would be, they cheered violently. They were ecstatic. They couldn't contain themselves. Have you ever just ecstatically thanked God for the star that he put in your life? I try and do that every year. Uh, Those few people who led me and brought me to that conference way back in 1971, just send them a little reminder. Thank you again for your investment in my life. You know, so many years ago, 1971, 11:45, Marriott Hotel. And that's listen. If you're a seeker, uh, God is w- wanting to give you a star. Uh, and my encouragement to you is just know that it's going to lead you to Jesus. And that's what Christmas Eve, the final character of the of the nativity scene is Jesus. And uh, I sure hope you'll come. 3 o'clock, 4.30. Why why don't you be a star to somebody else and invite them to come? And they'll meet Jesus, who's given us forgiveness for our past, help for the present, and hope and security for the future. So if you want to find Christ this Christmas, there's one more thing to do. We've seen two already. Seek the truth. Experience the joy. Thirdly, receive the Savior. You think, well, what makes this baby so different? There had to be thousands of babies that were born around that time all over the world. What makes him so different? Well, he was no mere baby. He was God. Listen to Colossians chapter 1. Christ is the exact likeness of the unseen God. He existed before God made anything at all. In fact, Christ himself is the creator who made everything in heaven and earth. So in order to enjoy that gift, not only you just recognize it, you've got to receive the gift. If someone is going to give you a a Christmas present at Christmas, it's not enough, oh, thanks, set it aside. You've got to receive that gift and open the gift. Be like the Magi. You know, they recognize it and receive the gift because of their response. Going into the house, verse 11, they saw the child with Mary, his his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And they are filled with awe. And their sincere investigation, not opposition, not defiance, not apathy, but their sincere investigation turned into sacrificial adoration and worship. You know what? The, one of the most amazing things to me in this whole story, th- these were astronomers, okay? They, they were looking in the heavens, and whatever they saw, I mean, it impacted their lives. But these magi didn't worship a planet or a star or some heavenly body. And you look anthropologically through the course of history, and for tens of thousands of years, people worshiped the sun, worshiped the moon, worshiped Mars and Saturn and Venus. But these magi didn't worship a planet. They didn't worship Mary. They didn't worship Joseph. They didn't worship one of the animals around there. They worshiped a baby, a a little boy. 
They gave him gold, the gift that was given to kings. It's the story of Matthew. They gave him frankincense, very rare, expensive incense used to burn in the temple to worship God. And they gave him myrrh, a spice used to embalm the dead. The gifts of the Magi were saying, we are worshiping him as our king. And they gave him gold. As our God. And they gave him frankincense. And as our savior. And they gave him myrrh. The birth of a special ruler to give new life. Is it any wonder that Handel included Revelation eleven fifteen in his Messiah? The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. And he shall reign, reign forever and forever. I love the words that a Frenchman penned years ago, back in 1847. It became a famous Christmas, Christmas carol. Oh, holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It's the night of the dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. The world was just languishing away till he appeared and the Spirit felt its worth. The thrill of hope, this weary world now rejoices. For yonder breaks a new, a glorious morn. Fall on your knees. Hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine, the night when Christ was born. So this Christmas, I invite you, don't just recognize the gift, but receive it. Give to Jesus the gift of myrrh, that he is your Savior who came to pay the penalty for your sin and to make it possible for you to be rightly related to God. The gift of frankincense, that Jesus is your God. He is worthy of your worship of your praise and adoration. And Jesus is your king. Jesus wants to be the Lord of your life. Let's all stand together and I'll close with prayer and then we'll end with, a, with this hymn. Just, and as you're standing, just, just pray this prayer quietly in your own heart. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for leading me here today. I knew that something was missing in my life. I just didn't know it was you. Thank you for seeking me even when I ignored you. And today, I want to recognize the gift that you sent at Christmas, the, the gifts of gold and frankincense of myrrh. Jesus, that you're the Savior. You came to die on a cross in my place. I'm the one who deserved to be there. You're God, the only one worthy of my worship and adoration, and you are the king, and you desire to be the Lord over my whole life. So today, Jesus, by faith, I accept you, and I want to not just acknowledge you, but receive you into my life to give me forgiveness for my past, help for the present, security for my future. And Lord, for those of us who know you and who have been related to you, oh God, help us never to get apathetic with truth or indifferent. Lord, help us 
not only to follow the star as we grow in our relationship with you, to know and to love you more and more, but Lord, help us also to be a star to others in need. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.